Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends. So thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to The New Man, Beyond the Macho Jerk and the New Age Wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lanier. Do you dread screwing up or making a mistake? When things don't go as planned, do you get pissy or intrigued? And was that recent breakup or job loss the worst thing ever? Or was it a gift? Today, Patricia Ryan Madsen talks about improv wisdom and how you can be happier and more successful when you let go of the plan and improvise your life. Welcome to The New Man. Today, we're talking with Patricia Ryan Madsen. She's the author of Improv Wisdom. Don't prepare, just show up. Patricia, thanks so much for being on the show. It's wonderful to talk to you today. So I got to admit, I felt uh, I felt pretty silly preparing for our interview today. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know what? It, it's um, it, it's it's fine. In, in fact, the whole idea of don't prepare is um, I don't I don't know of anyone who doesn't prepare. It's like preparing is in the DNA. We're going to prepare. So my message is not so much don't prepare because I think that's impossible. Um, like don't think of an elephant right now. Right, right. Um, but pr- while preparing, uh, once you get there, uh, set aside those notes and uh, see what actually happens. Okay. That's, that's really my message. So. All right. Well, well, before we dive in, you know, for the guy that's out there and, and you know, we're talking about improv here and, and a lot a lot of my coaching clients, especially younger guys, have really been getting into improv mm. classes and, and, and exploring that whole realm. And guys that I admire, you know, I always wanted to be I think I'm, you know, one of the gazillions that wanted to be on Saturday Night Live or something. So I, I, I grew up, you know, Will Ferrell was amazing. He was in the Groundlings. Stephen Colbert, another amazing talent. He was in Second City. Um, but in, if coming from your background, what are we talking about when we talk when we say improv? 
great. Uh, it's a terrific question because I think for almost everyone, the first thing they think of is something like Saturday Night Live, Robin Williams, and that improv equals uh, stand-up comedy. And, and of course, it is that. There's no question that those uh, the great names that you mentioned are people who um, happen to also have um, a comic sensibility. But the reality is, is that improvisation is a time-honored way of doing something that has nothing in particular at all to do with comedy. Um, it's really a, a, a method of operating. Um, we know that uh, because the greatest American music form, jazz, which is a form of improvisation, is just that. We don't think of jazz as comedy, but it's a, uh, a model for how people who know how to do something, play their instrument, work together and create things on the fly. So I think my contribution to this pile is um, I never tell anyone I can help them be funnier, although it's what I discover is that when you actually are trusting your voice and you're doing things um, without a careful plan or by your script, the result is often fresh and delightful and sometimes funny. But um, I don't promise anyone who studies improv that they'll be um, a great comic, but I can promise that they'll get better at listening to and going with their own, um, their own true voice. I, you know, I like that a lot because, you know, when we think about improv, we think about the stage. We think about this environment where we're given a license to go for it. You know, if mm -hmm. you make a mistake, we just keep rolling and that kind of thing. But you're talking about improv in the context of our life. So where, you know, if I'm thinking about the guy that's stuck in traffic right now or he's on a treadmill and he's listening to this, how is improv going to help him? Well, I think... Um if we look at improv as a system, and and I believe that it is, and, and that's what I try to demonstrate. I was teaching at Stanford for almost 40 years, and uh, students who were uh, guys on a treadmill and folks in the business school and the engineering school um, scratched their heads and said, you know, I could use some um, assistance in how to actually start finding that creative part of myself. And that's where improv enters. It's a, it's a method of um, showing up and trying things. We play games and do exercises, but the real purpose is to teach us how to pay more attention to what's happening right now. In that, in that sense, it's closer to some kind of a Zen practice, mindfulness, than it might be to any sort of um, comedy training. Okay. So the, 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 fellow, the business fellow you're mentioning um, might, um, I'd want to encourage him to look around to find an improv class because he, he may find that through the study of putting his body into an improv class, he'll wake up to some new ways of uh, thinking and doing, which is the real purpose, I think. I get, I get this I get this image of, you know, guys out there running. They've got, a, they've got an eight-cylinder engine, but they're really only running on a few cylinders. And that, you, uh, you know, accessing this creative brain and then learning how to actually fall down and get back up and not be so afraid of it, that, that just unleashes a whole you know, a whole wealth of power that we that we didn't even recognize that we had. Is that right? Perfect. Absolutely perfect. You described it really well. You're right. We're, we're often running on um, a, a partial tank because we, we don't know how to let go of that planning instinct. Um, we're so good at it. In order to have succeeded in business and gotten into graduate schools and doing the things we've done, we've learned how to put something together in a, um, in a linear way and to create a plan and execute it. Improv gives you on your feet 
training to what happens when we don't have a plan. How do you how do you survive? What what parts of the self do you use? And, and the first part is really starting to pay attention with um, 120% of your capacity. We don't use very much of our ability to attend, I'm afraid. Um, but attention becomes the first part, really listening, becoming um, uh, mega listeners. And um, fo- shortly following that, once we start to sort of wake up to what's going on in the room right now, the the next part is to use everything that's there in some way, and uh, hopefully in an artful way or a constructive way, depending on what your purpose is. You might be making a story together if you were going to jump on stage in a in a sketch. But it, it also might be that the uh, two of you are standing in the kitchen um, after a long day at work and uh, say, well, maybe we ought to go out to get something to eat. There's not much here. But an improviser might open the refrigerator and, and uh, look around to see what's there and say, hey, let's Let's see what we can make with this. And um, a good part of the improviser's methodology is, uh, it's a French word called bricolage, which means um, making something artful out of whatever is in front of you. Um, it's a very ecological way of approaching any situation. So we uh, we do it when we when we improvise a, uh, um, a handmade birthday card or um, pull out the what's in the refrigerator and make something new with it. So it's it's using the intelligence and imagination we have rather than falling into the formula. Oh, I have to have these six ingredients to make this, and if I don't have them, let's go out to eat. This may this may yeah. This may seem like a, a stretch, but you know, for a lot of guys, they're in this whether they realize it or not. They're in a victim mentality. They're blaming wherever they are in their life on whatever circumstances are happening. Mm-hmm. Versus, I get like the improvisers, like, okay, this is what's happening. This is what yeah. I have available now. What am I going to do instead of sit back and be like, well, I don't have this and I don't have that, so I can't do X, Y, Z. This is all right. I'm going to embrace what's happening and let's let's just roar. Let's just go with it. Absolutely right. It's it's a glass half full mind. It's looking around and say, "Hey, aren't I lucky? One uh, to, to be alive." I just read a quote that I, I, I loved. It's um, if you're alive, that's good. Lower the bar. <laughs> <laughs> And somehow uh, uh, I, I had to chuckle at that because it, it struck me that it's so true. The gift of being alive, being living in the 21st century, um, living in a time where all of this technology is here serving us and allowing us to connect and do things, what a miraculous world we live in. And so the improviser is, is somebody who's sort of trained to say, wow, let's see, what's around? What can I do with this? And um, that mindset can um, can move into uh, personal and daily life, into relationships, into the workplace, certainly into our creative life. There are lots of ways in which uh, seeing the glass half full and then using your natural intelligence and your uh, creativity to, let's see what I can make good of this, Um, and then allowing yourself along the way, because you're you're improvising, to say, oh, that one didn't work. Hey, what can I learn from that? Um, I I understand that, um, speaking of the the, um, value of mistakes, 
I, I believe you may have heard this that even the the drug Viagra was uh, actually a mistake. Uh, it was it was designed to do something else to do with blood pressure, and it was a failed experiment as a heart drug or something. And then oh, it seemed to have this other um, <laughs> very useful kind of uh, uh, utility. So right. um, that a, a lot of um, I think mistakes get a bad rap, and nobody likes to make them. But improvisers really do learn that. Um, it's not it's not about not making mistakes. It's certainly about uh, enjoying life. That's another thing. Improvisers have fun while there, there's a, a lighthearted um, mind to um, the activity at hand. Um, I, I can imagine some guys that, that are out there listening right now might, might be rolling their eyes. They, they're resistant to this idea of being a, a glass half full. But you weren't always an improviser. You were, uh, you know, when I was reading your story, that you had a certain script in mind that how things yeah. were supposed to go. And so you, I, I, I maybe tell that story because I think that'll lend a little bit more credibility to this idea of, of starting to be a lot more thankful for what we have, and then you know being able to to see all the opportunities there instead of okay, it's got to be this way. I've got a plan and this is how it's supposed to turn out. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was, um, I had the good fortune to um, uh, have a life as a university teacher. I started teaching uh, at Denison University in the in the late '60s, and I did everything right. I followed the I followed the score, and I sat on all the right committees. And everything I did, I did for my resume. I wanted to look good. Um, I I just made sure that in terms of a checklist, my whole life was driven just to get tenure and to um, make that college career a permanent thing. And um, I did all the things. I even got teaching awards. It was all looking really great. And then that moment came up, and um, sorry, um, uh, not tenure here. And it was such a shock and a surprise um, because I thought I had really done everything right. I'd painted inside the lines. I'd followed the formula. And at that moment, what what came to me was um, that actually the university was right. The thing that they said to me is that my teaching lacked intellectual distinction. And they were right. There wasn't anything distinct about my, I hadn't been listening to my own voice. I'd just been following the script of what seemed to be the right way to get tenure. And that aha, that discovery, wait a minute, um, what we really need to do, it doesn't mean never follow a script. It certainly doesn't mean notice what others um, think are valuable, but it while doing that, um, while doing that noticing of what the university values, don't lose sight of the things that you you truly care about and what you're good about and and why you're on the planet. Each of us um, has some kind of talent and thing that we love to do that we do well. And um, don't let your desire to to please someone get in the way of making sure that you really are following uh, some of the. Uh, purposes you have in being here on earth. Um, I think that's what we're all here to do is to find out what our purpose is and, um, and then uh, follow that purpose if we can. And if we're lucky, we can earn a living doing it too. How long did it take you to see the gift in that, 
you know, when you were, when you weren't, when you didn't receive tenure, how long did mm-hmm. I, you know, cause I could imagine that was devastating. You, you've been running this script for this particular yeah. outcome for so long. Yeah. Um, how long did it take you to go, wow, that was actually the best thing that could have happened for me? It wasn't long at all. It was within six months, actually, because I thought it was the end of my academic life. If you don't get tenure, nobody wants you. But within within three months of not getting tenure, uh, Penn State uh, hired me. They had a, uh, an opening at the last minute. It was one of these things. And all of a sudden, I was an assistant professor in a, a prestigious university and things. But when I went to that job, I said, okay, um, I'm back in academe, but I'm going to do it differently this time. I'm going to spend my summers uh, doing Tai Chi and studying Eastern religion and art and uh, all the things that were really drawing my imagination. And what I found is the more I followed that, the wonder, rather than uh, what was the prescribed script in the academic world, the more I was valued, even by those academics. So the big lesson, and and it happened pretty fast, was when you're listening, you know, tooting your own horn, following uh, the things that matter to you. It's finding a way to, and, and most of us know what they are. They're the things that we love to do, the things that are easy for us and that bring us um, pleasure and joy and that are useful in the world, too. I, I just love this idea because so many guys are out there waiting for permission to do this. They're waiting for, yeah. well, once I get here, or once I get there, mm-hmm. then I'll then I'll be able to, you know, do my thing. But yeah. What it sounds like for you is that your success actually depends upon your ability to listen to yourself and to integrate what you love into everything that you do. Is that right? I think that's exactly the message. Thank you for hearing that and and reading it so carefully, because I I believe even above the message about improv as a mode of doing things, that's really the the heart of what I learned and what I'd like to share. When you are able to use your, um, what is your own drum? I mean, the, um, all the analogies seem kind of hackneyed, to uh, thine own self be true and listen to your drum and do your own thing. But when somehow you honor that, not as a sideline, but as an important part of your being, I believe that's when, uh, well, nobody guarantees success, but I believe that's an important part of a really satisfying life. Yeah. Um, You know, I get the sense of, and I've seen this over and over, that when we dismiss our own voice, when we dismiss our own values, when we dismiss hmm. what we stand for, we give the world permission to do the same. It's not going to roll out the carpet for us. So it's really up to our, to our, to ourselves to take a stand for that. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't sound like you had to do this big fight and, and, you know, go up against the world. And, but it was just merely more about how you were going to treat you and then implement and integrate that into the world. Is that right? I, I think so. And I think it's also reframing what looks like a knockdown punch. Um, it, I, I, I can't imagine that any of your listeners won't have maybe already gone through something that seemed like uh, an unacceptable response. Uh, somebody left you. Somebody died. You got fired. The thing fell flat. Things are not going to work out from time to time. And I think the using those um, unexpected, um, often negative 
responses to life, um, using them as opportunities to reframe how you see the world um, can be so powerful. It's um, the old the old adage of turning lemons into lemonade. It, it's it, it, but it's a it's true. When you think about adding that sugar to, to the lemon juice, that really is a wonderful drink. And um, <laughs> I just was making lemonade, actually. I have a Meyer lemon tree in the yard, and it was, uh, I was thinking, how nice. But we, uh, it's not just, okay, get over it if something bad happens. It's what's the kernel of good? What's the message? If somebody leaves you and your heart's broken, my guess is that that, that pain represents how deeply you want to be in a relationship and have a good person in your life. Mm. And that's the kernel of good in a heartbreak. Um, and it's often that uh, if, if, you've, um, if you've lost a job in some way, that reality is just tooling you up for um, a better position or a place where you can use your own talents um, more effectively, creatively. I guess I'm an eternal optimist that um, a lot of times things don't turn out the way I, I want, but um, hard, there's hardly a door closes that another doesn't open. So um, Yeah, and you know, optimism, I think some people, when they think of optimists, they're, they're, these are the people that stick their head in the sand and, and aren't embracing reality, that they're choosing to see something that's not there. And uh-huh. the way that you're talking about optimism here is what's the opportunity? What, what's the yeah, opportunity and, that's arising out of this situation? And the truth of the matter, the glass is half full. Look at that. And, and, uh, it's not just metaphorically so. We are surrounded by um, a world that is supporting us. Uh, that may sound like some kind of airy-fairy uh, generalization, but um, I'm guessing anyone who's listening is sitting or sitting on something uh, or uh, sitting in a car seat or I'm in a very comfortable Ikea chair in my living room right now. Um, somebody made that chair. A human being's work uh, resulted in a piece of furniture or an automobile um, that we're able to use, and that if we look at if we look at the world as um, a collection of resources that allow me to um, to do things, we're being supported all the time, even in what might seem like a dark moment. And that's another truth about right now, not some kind of just optimistic thinking. I, this is powerful, and, and I, you know, this is one of the maxims that you describe in your book. There's 13 of them. Uh, I wanted to go through a couple of them with you. Sure. So, um, one of them, which is you know, about prepper, don't prepare, right? So, when does preparation actually get in the get in the way? Because preparation in itself isn't bad. We've already gone through that a couple times. Mm-hmm. But, but how do we know if I'm over preparing? How do we know if if I'm actually kind of screwing the pooch here if I, if I'm preparing too much? You know, I'm not. I'm not even sure that the over preparing is a concern. I might even say, okay, over prepare. But here's where the preparation screws us up. It's when we do the preparation rather than live the moment um, that that the preparation is about. It's when we when we get to the uh, speech uh, that we're uh, we prepared um, our our presentation and then. And all we do is read the speech. I just saw the most amazing thing. There is a um, uh, 
a, a site that showed President Clinton's speech just recently at the Democratic Convention. The uh, the article showed in um, black type what was the teleprompter giving him, and then the green showed his um, the way in which he configured and ad-libbed and added and personalized that, and then the red line showed what he struck out. So here was um, the ex-president of the United States in the most important speech of, of our time, maybe, and what he's doing really is improvising within his um, within the preparation. Clearly, there was a prepared text there, but he didn't go into um, zombie and read the speech really well. Instead, he was a human being alive using that preparation uh, to work the crowd, play the moment, be alive inside of that preparation. So that's, I, I say it's not, I don't even think you can over-prepare as, as, as a problem, but you can let that preparation turn you into a zombie when you actually have to do something. It actually keeps us from being alive and enjoying the moment and, and responding to what's happening and missing those opportunities. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, oh. Public speaking is a great example of this. Prepare like crazy and then allow yourself to go off script. Allow yourself to look around and see that somebody is really chuckling. Allow yourself to notice somebody in the back rows asleep or or has a questioning look. It's that we've got to allow ourselves, I think, in public um, situations and you know, business situations to um, be fully human. Um, we all know the difference between a prepared lecture that's being read and somebody who's present in the room and um, sharing something with us. Got it. Got it. And what are the other maxims? Be, you know, be average. Yeah, be so, average. I like that. <laughs> I can imagine, you know, there's so many guys are like, I want to reach my potential and my optimal. There, there's this really performance edge thing. And then reading this thing about striving to be average seemed to work against that. So you got to walk us through that. Yeah. Well, it's the idea is uh, how many times have you tried to do your best? And it was the curse of death. Um, somehow when we're trying to do our best, what's happening is that we're adding a certain kind of attention and pressure on ourselves that keeps us from our natural intelligence. So if I trick myself into saying, just be, just give an average interview right now um, and, uh, and allow me to um, not make this one count, I can create a condition where my own um, natural intelligence has a better shot at uh, at working. So the anybody can can give an, do an average speech or turn in an average report. N- naturally, uh, that advice is not aim for average. <laughs> Uh, it's it's more allow yourself to be average. Go f- go for what you already know, and then your your average is likely to be uh, so much better than if you are pushing yourself and you're all bent out of shape. Um, trying to do it perfectly. I mean, there's an example in the book of uh, Troy uh, Junkin uh, at a, uh, I think it was the Super Bowl, who the, the game hung on this um, this one punt, and uh, he was so trying to make it the most perfect punt of his life that uh, it failed. Mm-hmm. And he wrote later in the San Francisco Chronicle, if I'd just given it, you know, just done an average kick, we would have won that game. Mm-hmm. So um, the B average um, or have ordinary mind is a kind of um, 
I think it's good advice because it allows you to um, to take the pressure off yourself, which is what you need when you're trying to do something well. It sounds like we give up this uh, need or attachment for this to be the the greatest thing. Because if it's not, then my life is screwed, or I'm a sure. bad person, or whatever. And it's just like, hey, I'm okay being okay. There's something in there about just letting go mm-hmm. and and being with what is. It's hard to articulate, but if I'm if I really need this to happen, I could want it. But mm-hmm. if I really need this to happen in order for me to be okay, I get this sense that I'm, that's where I'm going to be white knuckling. That's where I'm going to be efforting. Yeah. That's where I'm going to have fears perhaps start to come in and, and try and meddle with it instead of just relaxing and doing what I normally do. Yep. You've got it. So what's one thing a guy could do today that's going to make a positive impact out of, out of the, some of the practices and things that you've got, you know, whether he's going into a meeting or he's going to have a date tonight or he's yeah. thinking of something like what's just a very simple practice that he could do that would really Great. make a difference? Well, he could try the basic improv uh, rule, which is to say yes and to whatever comes his way. Now, that might sound kind of, oh, Lordy, now how can I, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. I've got to take in what comes my way. I've got to decide whether it's in my best interest and then choose or not. The improviser makes things work because he or she agrees to be, um, is going to look at what's happening and build on it. That the yes and mind is um, is one that is looking for value everywhere. So um, I would say as a, as a practice, try going through the rest of the day when something, uh, some offer or idea comes your way, look for what's right about it, see what you can agree with and how you can build on it. And in cases where um, you're, uh, for example, negotiating something, make your partner happy by um, going with their idea. Build on someone else's idea. That's what improvisers do. So if I if uh, I jump on stage and you're standing there and I say, "Hey, nice dog you've got there, Trip," um, you're instead of saying, "That's not a dog, that's a cat," you stupid. Um, uh, <laughs> you would get a laugh if you if you blocked it and and uh, said I was wrong. But uh, a good improviser is going to, if I say, "Nice dog you've got there," is going to build on that idea with some some. Way Way of developing it. Yeah, yep. Been been raising schnauzers for a couple of years now. This one's uh, going to be in a contest, or some way in which uh, I add to what's being said. So um, a great practice is to say yes, and then build on uh, some someone else's idea. Look for ways that you can make your partner, um, your colleague, your spouse, or uh, your your girlfriend. Make them right. People love to be right, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine everybody's like, there's no way. Like, it's going to be such a challenge for them to give up their own agenda and just, just roll with it. But I, I love this practice. I, I think it's great. And, and to do it in a way that doesn't obviously dismiss your own values. But yeah, just of to course. play with that, just to play yeah. with that and see what happens. It's very liberating. And you're right. It seems like... Uh, you really don't give up the self when you decide that you're going to consciously shift your attention from your needs and ideas to someone else's. It's um, uh, Give it a try. That's all I can say. And, and if it doesn't work, then throw it out. In fact, that's true <laughs> of all the improv principles. So where do we learn more about you? Where do we pick up the book? 
Well, the book's pretty easy to find. It's sort of everywhere online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any of the online booksellers. If you can remember Improv Wisdom, uh, it's, it's also as an e-book, and you can download it. Uh, it's very inexpensive. You can put it on your tablet or your phone in a snap. It's a short book um, some with some pretty simple ideas and um, little exercises to try this uh, if you want to see what it feels like to improvise in your daily life. Um, I have a website, improvwisdom.com. It's just been so much fun talking to you uh, about the ideas, and I, I hope your listeners will um, consider that there might be something in the canon of, of um the world of improv training, or or maybe look out for a class. If um, I think you you said some of some of your readers have uh, um, reported that they've gotten a lot of personal value from getting in a room with a bunch of other people and trying some of these uh, games and concepts. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Patricia Ryan Madsen, author of Improv Wisdom, don't prepare, just show up. Available everywhere. Go check it out. Uh, thank you so much for for coming today and talking and, and uh, sharing your experience and what you've learned from improv. It's been an absolute pleasure, Tripp. Uh, you're you're clearly uh, a qualified improviser yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Have that. a great day now. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. There's so much more to The New Man than these interviews. So visit thenewmanpodcast.com and join the mailing list so you never miss another update. Thanks for listening.